Hey, welcome back to the Roofer Report. I am your host, Pete McKendrick. Uh, glad to be back with you guys again today with another great topic and another great guest. Uh, today, I've got Ruben with Active Prospect. Uh, Ruben and I have known each other for a couple of years, so uh, excited to finally get the chance to to have him on here and get to chat a little bit. So, uh, Ruben, I guess I'll give you the floor here to kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about Active Prospect for those that don't know in the industry what you guys do. Yeah, no, thanks, Pete. Uh, first off, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I feel like I'm on my local uh, radio DJ station here with Pete uh, in the mix. So this is so cool. Um, my name is Ruben Agartha. I'm the um, sales director for home services for Active Prospect. Uh, we're a software technology. Uh, we'd be classified as a lead management, compliance, lead routing platform. And uh, we're based out of Boston, Texas. We focus on consent-based marketing. And uh, I've been working for Active Prospect, working with a bunch of home service brands for probably about almost four years now selling the software. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was an actual client of Active Prospect. I actually used the technology from like 2014 all the way to 2019. Um, I had worked uh, as a lead media buyer uh, for a very large residential solar company and helped uh, support their call center, which was somewhere around 80 seats. Uh, prior to that, I sold both residential and commercial solar at the kitchen table. And prior to that, my family owns a roofing company. Uh, shout out to a &R Roofing and Uncle Andy uh, out there <laughs> in Eagle Rock, Burbank area here in Southern California. So I kind of have this construction kind of, you know, boots on the roof, kitchen table sales background, you know, from a small kind of family uh, run business, you know, got involved in a, you know, uh, you know, sold residential solar, pivoted into biz dev kind of lead generation for a small residential solar company, which kind of grew from 25 folks to a thousand and then uh, pivoted from there uh, into software. And that's, uh, what I do today. Cool. So how did you get into roofing? Was it one of those things where it was the family business and you didn't have a choice, <laughs> you know, or yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, so I, I, you know, honestly, I, I worked for my uncle back when I was in high school, ripping off roofs. Um, there is no harder job than ripping off a roof in Southern California in a hot summer month. <laughs> so that did not last very long. Plus stepping on nails uh, through your sneakers, uh, just not a good thing. So um, I had worked uh, when I was much younger, um, but essentially the mortgage crash happened and I was in the financial services business. I had been in that business thinking, you know, flying high for many years. And um, when the crash happened, uh, my uncle's business was really taken off from a couple different places. And I was like, sure, you know, I can't get a job anywhere else right now. And thinking that the banking or mortgage industry would kind of come around, as we all know, uh, it didn't right away and took some time. But um, I kind of started working for him and he took me on jobs and taught me how to, you know, uh, you know, measure with squares. Um, going from being like in a office kind of suit environment, corporate environment to being on the roof with my uncle and driving a truck and having like a big Owens Corning pink Panther on the side. 
that was like night and day and I really embraced it. Um, especially as the crash kind of <laughs> took a few years to kind of cultivate. Um, I basically learned the ropes from him. He had been, and he, he is in the roofing business, very successful business. He learned from his father and, um, he basically taught me how to measure roofs, uh, you know, how to price, uh, roofing jobs, both, uh, residential, small commercial. Um, I started going to kind of like the roofing conference and the Western roofing show, which I know we just talked about and kind of just fell in love with construction and being able to pick up a phone at the office. Someone says, Hey, I, you know, I'm looking for a quote, being able to drive out there, put a ladder up, jump on the roof and then come down and be able to explain, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Um, and that's kind of how I got started in the roofing business. That's pretty cool. So how did you make the transition from there into solar? Right. So I think obviously, you know, over the last couple of years, I would say the solar market and the roofing market have kind of grown closer together, but you know, back then they were very distinctly different, uh, industries, you know, and, and I think they continued to be for a while. So how did you kind of make that transition? Did your uncle's business delve into solar or did you just, you know, see that as an opportunity to go sell something different? Yeah, the, 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 we, I would definitely wouldn't use the word delve. Uh, I would definitely use the word maybe metal. Uh, the, the way that I got really, well, one, solar to me, um, just it, it just represents you the sun, which is free for everybody. And out there, like the ocean, right? You can go to the ocean, the beach. I just believe in that. Like, I've always thought it was just fascinating that, you know, you have all these utilities controlling uh, or mandating that you buy power from them and it's coming from some, you know, uh, distribution, you know, facility, you know, miles away, but yet the sun comes up every day and we have the technology to capture it with solar panels. Like that to me just blew my mind from um, just an economic and kind of uh, uh, just a lot of different aspects. So one, it fascinated me. And then two, um, when I was, going and doing roofing and estimating uh, my uncle's businesses. in, if anyone knows Southern California, Eagle Rock is kind of somewhere in between like just east, north of Hollywood, Los Feliz, uh, just east of like Burbank and just west of like Pasadena area. So it's like surrounded by all these beautiful communities. And so back in 2008, 2009, 10, a lot of, there was big rebates from California, Southern California Edison, LADWP, which are the, the dominant utilities here. And so people were getting big rebates to go solar and energy prices kind of rise um, historically. And people would just come to me. And a lot of times they were like wealthy homes, like people who had really large homes who are like, hey, I want to get a rebate and a tax credit from the government. Like, do you guys do solar? Or what do you think? And just time and time again, people would just ask me and I'd be like, uncle, like we got to get into this business. We could sell a roof and we could sell solar. We could package it. And to me, it just made like a streamline, just easy process. And it just, we can just do this to him. He was like, listen, we're roofers. If I got to get involved with solar, I got to get involved with the electrical panel. That's a whole nother liability and rightfully so. And so I think back then, because solar was so new and keep in mind, this is pre-power purchase agreement, pre-solar lease, pre-zero down type offering. There was no um, 
you know, big solar finance companies like there is today where there's like a multitude of them. Um, it wasn't like it is today, you know, 10, 15, almost 15 years later. Back then it was you had to buy direct from the manufacturer, kind of like how, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what, how to compare it, but you'd have to get from the direct manufacturer. There was no financing available. Um, the, just even the way that you would quote solar was super weird. You used to have the, this is kind of for like the old school solar heads. You would get a, what's called a sun eye, which is just think of it like a, almost like a phone, but like a little uh, camera that's on a, a piece of equipment. And you would have to go to the different angles of the roof to measure the azimuth or the amount of uh, power energy that that roof can get. And it was like a lot of math involved. Nowadays, this click, 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 and boom, you got the panels on the roof and it's like a 60 second thing. But back then it was like a crazy process. And so um, I got into it because clients were asking for it. I ended up working for a nonprofit called Grid Alternatives, which is, is very uh, popular. They basically install uh, free of charge, uh, small little solar systems on low income housing. They're funded by various utilities in various states. And I basically started learning how to install solar on the weekends through this nonprofit. I then ended up taking a, uh, uh, a solar 101 class at Pasadena City College, which was taught by like this uh, engineer um, from Panasonic who basically taught us all about solar and like the azimuth and the technology and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, last but not least, I had my beautiful son, Joaquin, and I needed to get medical insurance. So I told my family, hey, I gotta, I gotta go. And I ended up uh, working for uh, Real Good Solar, which ended up becoming RGS Energy. And that's kind of how I transitioned from roofing into solar. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I you don't often hear people go that direction, right? So it's interesting to hear how that goes. And I think I agree with you. I think solar is ultimately the future of this industry will, you know, eventually become one big industry that does roofing and solar together, I think, you know, ultimately. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see that happen. Yeah, I would just kind of add, like, from the business, from the industry perspective, kind of going to uh, our, our SPI for years, um, I get Solar Power World monthly. I get the Roofing Contractor monthly. So I've been, you know, involved in these industries for, for over a decade. And it seemed like when solar came out, there was this big rush of roofers and solar companies trying to engage and trying to figure out figure it out. And that kind of dissipated in the early 2010, 11, 12, 13. And it kind of went into like the solar companies kind of rising and taking it with the electrical side. And now it seems like 10 years later, roofing contractors, installers, and just other trades have realized that solar is here to stay. There's a lot of margin to be made. And why not have that customer acquisition cost that I'm doing in roofing, windows, doors, baths? Why not have that be part of the solar uh, experience as well. So it, it's interesting how the industry's played out. Yeah. And I know a lot of the conversations that I've had with companies that do solar, right, is that their projects are often contingent on having a roof either repaired or replaced 
prior to putting the panels on. So, you know, logical step obviously would be for a roofer to be the one potentially doing both if he could, right? Uh, you know, definitely that opportunity there because these solar only companies are relying so heavily on the roofers to come in. Like I know, you know, some large projects that they said, hey, I've got huge projects that are being hung up over a couple thousand dollar roof repair because I don't have a roofer to come in and actually do this, this job. So, yeah, so it's interesting to see, like you said, how the industries are kind of coming closer together again. Uh, you know, and then of course you've got the products coming out like the solar shingles by GAF and others, you know, that are, that are definitely going to even draw that tighter. I think, you know, as, as you have roofers able to install those products. So absolutely. I remember when the first solar, it wasn't even a shingle, it was us tile had a solar kind of clay S tile. And they were the first to kind of come to market with that. And, um, you know, something happened, right, with that, with that product that kind of never came. And then there was Dow Chemical, I don't know if you recall, had uh, kind of like a solar shingle that they were working on. And then that kind of never came around. And uh, now, um, most recently, it's like all the majors have now come out with a solar shingle. And then obviously, kind of the Tesla solar roof is, you know, gained prominence. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to see kind of how the industry has kind of gone and, and, and gone up and down and, and the adoption uh, over time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, so you're working in the roofing industry, right? You transitioned into solar and then you end up in software, right? <laughs> you know, and it, I, I have a similar story, right? Like I came from the field into the software side of it as well. So, um, you know, how did that whole thing kind of transpire? Like you, obviously you said you became a client of Active Prospect who you currently work for. Uh, but really where did you, as you were working, obviously you must have seen a need for a product, right? And that's where you probably went on the hunt for a product like that. And and is that how it kind of happened? Yeah, I mean, I was always fascinated by um, like companies like Salesforce, and I've always been into um, like CRM technology and um, you know Google Ads and digital marketing. I, you know, like when Facebook came out, I just thought it was like the craziest thing, um, and you know. You know, with my uncle, one of my main things and initiatives was like, we need to get you a website. We need to get you on this thing called Yelp. We need to get you on this thing called Angie's List. It's going to be huge. Uh, we need to get you a Facebook page. We need to. So all these things that are now, I mean, these are common things. Back in 2007 and eight, they weren't. Um, so I think it started there and then transitioning into solar, selling it, and then transitioning from selling it into uh, being... Uh, kind of, you know, a paid lead, uh, lead generation. You know, we were feeding a call center that had about 80 seats um, and the ability to buy leads from third parties and generate leads on Google and Facebook and stuff like that became so prominent. That along with the rise of TCPA and the inability to just call people uh, just, you know, on a list because you could potentially get sued and will get sued. Um, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. The company that I worked for was called Horizon Solar Power. Um, 
you know, back when I started with them, there were probably about 30, 40 employees in total. And we were maybe doing 25 to 35 installations um, in the Southern California, San Bernardino, you know, LA region. Within a matter of 24 months, that company went from 50 employees to 500. And we went from doing 20, 30, 40 installs to three, 400 installs. Um, a private equity company ended up purchasing. That was kind of um, my uh, entrance into technology and how it can affect uh, the process and the customer journey and the lead funnel. And to be honest, it was just trial by fire. I was thankful and lucky enough to be in a situation where I was in a growing company that needed to grow and scale and the cost of acquisition wasn't as critical as the growth. And so I just kind of learned like how to get leads from all these people all over into the CRM, into the dialer. And then over time, when you work within a call center environment, and thankfully I worked with some awesome professionals uh, in the business, um, you kind of just learn how to, how, to, how to combat certain things that happen. Uh, anyone who's listening who runs a call center that has more than 20, 30 seats gets what I'm saying. It's a, it can be a circus on a daily basis. And especially as you're growing, you know, I think at one point we added, you know, from 80 seats to like 140 and then back down again and then down. And so it, it was always this, uh, you know, revolving business. And um, that's kind of how I got into technology and software. And I just see the impact of how it had on the business. And, um, you know, in, in short, people would just be like, oh, you're doing such a great job of growing this. And I'm like, really it's this tech stack that i've got but you know i'll take the props i think uh, and it is very interesting you know like i i ran a, a landscaping business early in life right and it's like when i was younger and you know it obviously is like you know it and we were a good size company we weren't huge by any means but you know we were a decent size and we were doing okay for ourselves but it, it's so interesting because so much of like our marketing back then and our lead gen was referral based right? We didn't really, we weren't using a lot of tech to, to advertise the business, everything, a lot of print marketing type of stuff, you know, we're relying on people seeing signs and the trucks and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it's interesting to see the evolution of the lead gen to now it being, you know, a bit overwhelming, I think at times for, for contractors and for roofers, you know, the fact that leads can come from so many different sources now, where before it was just simpler, right? Like it, it really was like, Hey, I'm just gonna, you know, rely on my past customers to refer me business. And, you know, and I, up till even till a couple of years ago, you know, when I, before coming to roofer, obviously I worked at the CRM and at the CRM, we would, one of the main questions we would ask is like, what is your sources of leads, right? Like where are your leads coming from? And there were still tons of guys that would say like, well, my number one source hands down is referrals, customers just referring me to other people. We rely heavily on that. That's where the majority of our leads come from. You know, and I think even since then, which was what, five years ago now, uh, you know, we've seen a major change in where these guys are generating a lot of their leads from, you know? So uh, it's been very interesting to me to watch that evolve and, and to see, like you said, to watch kind of tech become a huge part of generating leads uh, now and, and feeding that lead funnel. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, with the evolution of the internet and, and the speed 
nobility of people uh, to be online. People are spending more time online. And then obviously the evolution of the iPhone, right? Um, more and more folks are on their phone and they're spending time there for better or for worse. And uh, the evolution of social media and the ability to uh, you know, click on ads that are presented to you based off of your demographic information and what you're searching for and your age range and your geo. I mean, these are all things that allow home service brands to get super hyper-targeted and allow media or publishers or aggregators or lead vendors, whatever you want to call them, um, to generate leads in any vertical, regardless if they know what that vertical does or, or, or doesn't. If you can create um, you know, catchy, creative and um, um, you know, landing pages and offers and ads and get eyeballs to and people to click, you can make a lot of money in this business. And um, I think a lot of marketing folks have come along and, and come around to this, but certainly, um, you know, marketers who were historically really great at like newspaper ads, like you said, or TV or radio, um, this is like a whole new world and maybe something that they didn't want to adapt to, but now have been forced. To. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So speak a little bit to, cause this is what you guys do really, right? Is speak a little bit to the importance of being able to gather that information about where your leads are coming from. Right. Because I know, you know, a huge part of like when I was at the CRM, right. And we would set these guys up and a main piece of it was like, okay, now we're, you have the CRM, we're capturing all your leads in one place. You can see where they're coming from. And it was always shocking to a lot of guys to, to look at that data and be able to say like, wow, that's not performing anywhere near what I thought it was. You know, like, like I had this vision in my mind of like, oh, we're getting a good bit of leads from there. And then when you actually would look at the numbers, they would be like, okay, well, I'm spending a lot of money there and I'm not really getting the return I thought I was, right? So I, I just assumed because I was spending a lot of money there that I was getting something out of it, you know? And the, the importance of, because I think it's overlooked, right? I think a lot of roofing companies, especially small guys, you know, which like at Roofer, we cater to the smaller roofer, right? And I think, uh, you know, it's a piece that's, um, you know, that's overlooked a lot when like, if I'm not working with like a big marketing firm, it doesn't mean that I can't be educated about my lead gen, right. And, and where my leads are coming from and stuff. And so speak a little bit to like what you guys have learned about, you know, how you, like you said, you can more or less like hyper target your marketing and make yourself much more effective than just kind of like throwing this wide net across a ton of different lead sources. Right. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think in terms of the, like digital marketing or marketing in general, and then to, to kind of what you're saying, like the reporting ability, I think the days are gone where contractors don't know their cost of acquisition off the top of the head. A lot of contractors in various trades, including my uncle Andy, who I love and, and adore, um, they could tell you the profit margin on any operation or any job that they're installing and price per square and, and all that stuff. But if you ask them about the marketing spend and cost of acquisition to get that, like, hey, I, I, you know, let me uh, let me get back to you on that one. Um, and honestly, um, there's a lot of big brands that I work with today and that I've worked with or that I've known that that's the same thing. And these are companies who are doing five, 10 million plus dollars, you know, annually, if not more. Um, the ability to track cost of acquisition and marketing by channels 
is probably one of the biggest issues in home services today in terms of marketing and the kind of the front end of the funnel. Um, a lot of marketing folks who are running departments, whether it's CMOs or marketing directors or digital marketing uh, uh, folks who, who run a channel, um, the ability to have a CRM and to track your dollar for dollar media spend with the amount of appointments, demos, sales, and installs is not something that is easy still to do today, even with all the technology that we have. And certainly five, 10 years ago um, was almost impossible. With the rise of the CRM in Salesforce, companies like Acculinks, companies like, you know, um, uh, has become a, a, a must. You have to have a CRM. Uh, you have to have that. And if you don't have that CRM, you're not in the game. Now, along with the CRM, people are now starting to understand, wow, I, I thought I just needed a CRM. No, you know what? I also need an outbound phone system, which some people might call it a dialer. Other callers can call it whatever. But I need the ability to, when I get a lead, to get into my database. And then I need to be able to outreach that person. And I need to be able to uh, record my outreaches in my CRM so that I know how many times or, to your point, what leads are converting. And so our technology, Active Prospect, we're basically a protective layer in front of a CRM. Now, as the rise of the CRM and SaaS software has, has really become prominent and uh, you know, the, the norm, we are essentially uh, a tool or feature that people don't even know that they, know that they need. And we essentially sit in front of a CRM to help filter out uh, a lot of bad, lower quality data. We can detect, detect different types of information, like if a phone number is correct, if uh, you know, if it's a compliant lead. And so we do all these things at the very front end of the funnel that a lot of contractors and installers just don't even know exist, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and I think it's such an overlooked piece, right? Because it's like, I can get leads, right? I can get leads from a lot of places, but am I really ultimately getting quality leads, right? And I think that's the biggest piece that's overlooked is, you know, just because I'm shelling out money somewhere to advertise and get leads from there, Am I really able to tell how effective those leads are? And, uh, you know, and that's one thing that you guys do really well, I think, is kind of that setting that buffer in there to kind of profile those leads and filter out the garbage. Right. And and, and produce better quality leads for the contractor. hundred percent. And then, you know, for any of owners who, who manage or have a, you know, a staff member that manages marketing, if you know, if, if, if you ask your marketing team what my cost of acquisition is in month and out of month and by channel and they can't tell you right away, that's a problem. And run pivots to get that number, that's a problem. The companies who are growing and scaling, that's something that they have on their fingertips like that. And in order to do that, you have to combine a multitude of different sources and, and marketing channels along with the right technology that supports you in getting that consumer data intent into your CRM. And then ultimately the ability to outbound, whether it's phone, SMS, email, um, you know, all these different channels that you can use in this digital age. And uh, I think that's something that the home service industry is finally coming around to um, 
and starting to embrace. And a lot of the CRMs are kind of taking the lead and supporting a lot of that uh, omni outreach, omni marketing approach. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about if I'm a new roofer, let's say, right? Or I'm new to home services, I'm small. I don't have a marketing budget. It's maybe it's just me. I'm a one man show, or maybe it's me and, you know, my aunt Sally running the office for me or something, you know, like, <laughs> there's not a whole lot to us, you know, so I don't have a lot of money to show. What are some suggestions that you would make? Obviously the cost of acquisition is a great one, right? Like that's a great, that's great insight. Be able to track that early on, right? So that you can be more effective, but what are some other suggestions that you would make as far as like lead gen, lead organization for someone who's on a tight budget, right? Who's not able to have a marketing person or a marketing company kind of managing that flow for them? No, that's a great question. I mean, um, I believe that as much as I'm into digital marketing and performance marketing and all that, I still believe that there is a very significant um, role that field marketing and AKA door knocking, AKA canvassing, whatever you want to call it, still plays in the home service business. And I believe that you got to dominate your city and your town and your area before you go out there and market to the rest of the county or the rest of the state. If you can't dominate your backyard uh, by creating referral, a strong referral channel, by some more supporting local community uh, uh, outreach, uh, by knocking folks on your street that you live on and knocking your neighborhood, it's going to be really hard to grow elsewhere. And so I've seen a lot of successful installers really just not invest into marketing spend, but essentially empower salespeople to go out there and acquire customers via referral generation and field marketing, and then ultimately include that cost of acquisition as part of that sales commission. Um, I've seen some, uh, some very large organizations grow through that, and we all know Vivint a home or Vivint, you know, Vivint in, in general kind of took that model and, you know, grew a, a massive business, a billion dollar business through that. Um, and so I believe that's kind of the path of initial startup and success. And I've, I've seen it time and time again, where companies who don't have a large budget are trying to get off the ground. Um, you know, that's kind of how they start. And then once you get kind of the, the, the train going, then you can start to invest into other channels and maybe even stand up a call center. And when I say call center, call center could be one person on the phone. It could be 120 people on the phone. So it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of in between, but that would be my, uh, you know, response to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's great insight. I think that, you know, I think that gets overlooked, like having kind of like growing it organically, right? Like let it kind of build on itself until you can get to the point where you can afford to spend money on some marketing channels and take advantage of what's, free, right? Like take advantage of, and, and you can be educated about it. Like we've done, you know, we've done uh, some podcasts before on canvassing and scouting and things like that. And you can be fairly calculated about how you go out there and strategically knock like uh, a perfect example is like what you said, you know, start in your own backyard, right? Start knocking doors on your street, like start where you know, and where the people know you and build your reputation there, you know? I mean, there's nothing better and there's nothing going to help you more than letting your neighbors and your community know that you are starting a business in your community and that if they have a job that would fit what you're doing, that, hey, here's my name and number 
and you know i'm putting money back into the community and my kids go here or whatever it may be and um I, I believe that's you know you know huge you know uh sponsoring which is you know cost effective sponsoring local soccer teams and you know your church and stuff like that i think that's the way to go in terms of small installers who are just starting out and getting out there in the mix and then obviously you have different free websites right where you can uh put your information on i mean there's tons of them out there you know from yelp to google to um you know what's the one neighborly and all these other ones that are out there where you can list your business and be like hey i'm a local roofer i'm a local window installer or whatever it may be and so i think that's kind of where you start yeah i love it i mean it's you know it's funny that you said that because so we have where the town that i live in is a very small town right we have our own little like there's like a town facebook group and someone actually just asked a question this morning asking like hey who who would i get as a roofer like i need a roofer who do you guys recommend? And there must've been 45 comments and there were, uh, you know, 40 of them were the same guy who's a local here in town. Like he's a local roofer, right? Like, and I think it's important to become, become that guy, right. For your community and become that, that go-to person. And that's the great way to start. And then you just kind of build on that, right. You don't have to go crazy right from the beginning with marketing dollars. Small businesses can be good businesses, right? Like if you were a small contractor and you're doing 10, installs a month profitable profit and you have a good margin you're profitable that's awesome like that's the american dream for a lot of installation companies it, you don't have to do 20 30 40 50 hundreds of jobs a month that's not meant for everybody you can have a great life installing local in your community and around your area and not having to drive all these different places and be everything for everyone and i, I definitely learned that from my uncle and, and from others that i've seen in the business so I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, being the lead guy, right? What, uh, what are some lead for, for, from a home improvement standpoint, right? If I'm a home improvement contractor, a roofer, a, you know, HVAC guy, let's say, what are some types of lead gens that you would some, that would you, you would kind of steer away from in the beginning? Um, I would steer away from calling lists or data lists, which a lot of people buy. They're just, and what I mean by that are they're, there's all these types of folks who sell you a list of just like numbers and names and say, at one point, these people were interested in roofing or interested in solar. Um, I don't believe in that. Um, one, you can get yourself in some serious problems by calling people who are on the DNC or calling someone's cell phone without consent. And then two, like you're just literally like throwing phone. You're just trying to call anybody and there's no like consent or intent from the person you're calling, and, you know, three, you're, you're probably bugging the shit out of somebody by calling them on the list. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was looking for a roof like a year ago. Um, so that's the one thing I would say that I would stay away from. Um, and then two, um, I think one, you start off with what, how we talked about, you start off with your local Google and, and stuff. You start off by getting your own website. And then for those companies who are kind of in growth mode and they get big enough, um, I believe that there is a lot of value in partnering with a lot of these larger lead generation houses. Um, we all know who they are, right? Home Advisor, Quinn Street, um, you know, Remodeling.com and Porch and, and, and whatnot. I believe that there's a lot of got a lot of value in working with those types of brands um, when you have the right system in place. You have the CRM, you have your dialer, 
you have your staff who's outbounding on a speed to lead. And then once you kind of are starting to kind of feed from some of those larger folks, what I'm seeing is brands getting into performance marketing where they're starting to work with uh, not such large distributor brands. They're starting to get into working with smaller lead vendors um, such as like a Blue Fire Leads or a Contractor Appointments or, um, uh, you know, there's, there's all types of ones out there, BuyerLink and things like that. And when you can start to have a bullpen, I call it a bullpen, right? Like a pitcher's bullpen. When you can have a bullpen of vendors and you're monitoring their performance and you have reporting on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you can turn up and turn down different channels and you can start to calibrate your marketing flow as a whole so that your blended cost per lead and your output matches the performance of the channel as a whole along while along with still keeping tabs on the individual lead vendor um so that you know who's giving you what i think to your example earlier am i buying a bunch of leads and not getting anything out or you know am i buying a few leads from this one vendor and i'm getting a lot out if you can start to really have the tech stack and the reporting in place that's when you can start to get incremental growth and grow from 50 leads to 100, 100 to 250, 250 to 700. And then once you start getting into the 700,000 range, I mean, think about it, an average cost per lead in home services, depending on the sub vertical is anywhere from what, like a low 25 bucks all the way to like $75. If you're buying a thousand leads at $25, spending like 25 grand, that's a lot of cash. You know, that's $300,000 a year. You times that by three, you're almost close to a million at the $75 cost per lead range. So um, before you start getting into those big numbers, you really want to start to have the smaller spend really calculated and be able to see, even if you're only getting like 10 or 15 leads from a vendor, you're paying 50 bucks. You know, did you get a sale? If you didn't get a sale, did you get a demo? If you didn't get a demo, did you get appointments? And really figuring out, is it the lead quality, which every contractor wants to uh, blame? Or is it is it me? Is it is it my, my process? Is it my lack of ability to contact this lead right away? And are my competitors who are getting potentially the same lead just far more advanced than I am? This is a huge, that's a huge piece right there, right? Because uh, I go back to when I first started working when I left the field and I came to the the SaaS side of the business and I started working with companies, I remember at the time, you know, some of these b big lead gens like Home Advisor and those type of places were big, right? And the guys are buying leads from them. And I remember talking to companies and like you'll you'll talk to one company and they would be like, "Oh yeah, I buy leads from them. Total garbage. Get nothing out of them." Then you talk to another guy two days later, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, ninety percent of my leads come from there." Right. And you're like, how's that possible? Right. How, how are they on two opposite ends of the spectrum? And it's so you just you hit it right on the head. Like it's the process. Like, do you have a process in place that you can handle these leads as they come in? Like, can you fine tune that process? Can you figure out the best way to, to deal with these leads and to, you know, handle them, process them through your own system? You know, and I think that's a huge piece that's overlooked. And then, like you said, our first thing is to point the finger and say, 
well, they're not generating good leads for me, right? Well, it may not be that they're not generating good leads, right? Like if the leads may be decent leads, it may just be the way you're handling them. It happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. And, you know, just to, for the audience to give an understanding, we work with, or I work with companies as big as ADT, Empire Today, Big Momentum Solar, Debella, roofing companies, all the way to local, um, you know, C. Michael Exteriors or Luxury Bath Tampa Bay and kind of smaller installers. Um, and I hear it just like you, right? One person on one day will be like, oh, man, this vendor is the worst. I will never work with them ever again. And I'll pick up another call and the person's like, oh, man, they're my top vendor. I can't get enough leads from them. Like, they're amazing. And so it, it, it's it's hilarious how, um, you know, someone's junk is, out, is someone else's gold and vice versa. And then I think kind of to what you're saying, as an installer, as in a marketing team, as an owner, it's super easy to say the leads are shit. The leads are the problem. The vendors are the problem. And it's much harder to look in the mirror and go, what am I doing? Am I, am I buying it at the right price? Am I calling the lead right away? Do I have the right follow-up outreach process? Am I texting them? Am I emailing them? Am I following up with them? And then, then you have the constant battle and it even, it, it gets bigger as, as, as organization and, and brands become larger and more successful between the marketing team and the sales team, right? And you know what I'm saying, where the marketing team's like, oh, we're crushing it, we're doing so well. And then the sales team's not doing what they need to do. Who gets the blame? The marketing team, right? Because it's the leads. Oh, the leads are not good, whatever. And the marketing team starts blaming the sales team and it becomes this back and forth. And with brands who succeed and are scaling, that doesn't exist. They're one cohesive unit. They have the right tech stack and they have the right reporting to show exactly what KPI belongs to who and who's doing what. If you got a high appointment rate and demo rate and the sales aren't coming, that's a sales issue. If you have a low appointment or low demo rate, that's a marketing issue. So it's a company issue as a whole, but with the right reporting, and we're, we're gonna always circle back to reporting because that's the basis of everything. With the right reporting, and the right um, truth environment and, and, and clarity and transparency within a, within a, a team, you can, you can accomplish great things instead of having these internal battles of who gets credit or who gets the blame for what. It's more like, hey, this month we didn't do as good here and we need to improve that and, and vice versa. So, um, you know, you know, that's kind of what I'm seeing uh, in working with different brands and, and working ha have worked for both the smaller and large contractor. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's great, a great point. You know, I'm a process guy. I love the process part of it. And I think it's a piece that's so taken for granted, I guess, is, is a good way of putting it. You know, it, it, people just assume the process is going to kind of like, well, oh, I'm making money. The process must be good, right? Like. <laughs> You know, and then if you really get into it, you dive into it and really look at it, a lot of times you'll realize there's a lot broken in the process, right? Or or could at least be improved, right? Yeah, I was just going to add, there's a lot of brands out there selling a lot of product and not making any money. And people are always surprised when solar companies or big brands go out of business. But there's a lot of folks out there turning dollars. And there are probably some on this call or some listening here. And then there's a lot of installers who 
They won't do a job unless it has a nice, tight, high margin. And so, um, you know, there's different ways to grow a business. Um, and I've seen kind of both sides. And, um, you know, I'd much rather do five, 10 very profitable jobs and hang out with my family than do 100 uh, very slim, maybe potentially unprofitable jobs and be going crazy every month. Yeah, that's a super important point, you know, because I think early on the biggest mistake made by contractors, and I know like I was part of a company that did it, is you just like, hey, let's just throw salespeople at it. Let's just keep selling more and more and more jobs, right? And then we're struggling on the production side to keep up, right? But we're like, our solution is just like, hey, if we just keep selling more, just keep bringing more money in the door, like we'll eventually be super profitable. And and then you look at it, you know, and then you're, like you said, to that point, you know, you, you get to the point where you're just like, what is happening? Why are we not making money? Like, how is this possible? Right. Like, you know, like, like I completely agree with you. I'd rather do five or 10 jobs that, you know, we know our profit margin is really tight and a good deal. Right. And then, then just be like pumping all this nonsense and getting to the end of the job and being like, Holy crap. Like we spent way too much to get this customer or, you know, material costs way more than we should have spent we didn't quote it right all these things that could have contributed to the profit margin not working out like we originally hoped it would right 100 100 one thing that i love that so i spend a lot of time on the road as anyone who follows me on linkedin and if you don't please do uh you know solar junkie on linkedin i travel to all the big conferences i do a lot of the sales summits and shows and and, and big lead gen conferences and you know i'm all over um uh one uh, specific person, I'm going to give them some love here, the Grosso University team. I've uh, We've Active Prospect has sponsored, and, and I know you're familiar, we've sponsored some of their events in the past. Um, Nick Richmond, who runs Matrix Home Solutions, super uh, successful and profitable, um, you know, basement and home remodeler in the Wisconsin, like kind of Chicago region. Um he had, I went to one of his conferences last year and he had this line, which I just love, which is uh, volume is for vanity, profit is for sanity. And I thought that was like, dude, that's so simple, but that's just like totally describes home construction and what people are doing or not doing, right? Like, are you doing volume and looking good to a lot of people because you're rolling a lot of trucks and got a lot of equipment? Or are you being profitable and being sane and having controlled growth. And I just thought, uh, you know, that kind of reminded me of, uh, of what he had said at that, at that conference. Well, man, I don't want to keep you all day here. I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I think that, you know, some great insight here. I think this is such a touchy subject, right. For so many people, just because it's like you said, even in your uncle's business, it's kind of that unknown factor, right. You know, it's not the bread and butter of most home improvement guys. They're production-based guys. And, you know, that's where, like you said, they can, you know, tell you down to the dime what it takes time-wise and money-wise to get the product installed and, and to get the job done. But, you know, that lead gen and that marketing piece on the front end is something I think that intimidates a lot of people because it's just an unknown, right? It's just something we're not familiar with and that people aren't comfortable with. So we try to avoid really like diving into it. So, but I think, you know, here talking about it, like you really have shown kind of the importance of diving into it a little bit and understanding it at least, you know, 
hundred percent. I, I, you know, I just encourage folks, installers and really, you know, home remodelers or anyone who's a contractor, who's here listening to this podcast that empower your marketing team, right? Really spend time with your marketing team. I see a lot of construction companies spend time on the construction ops side, which is kind of natural. I get it. Like you want to build the best product, do the same with your marketing team. Yeah, this is great. I appreciate you coming on, Ruben. Like I said, I've, we've known each other for a while, so I'm glad we finally got this nailed down and got a chance to do this. And yeah, definitely take a look at what Ruben and his team are doing over there at Active Prospect. It's an awesome product and uh, you know, definitely a, a huge piece of the puzzle, I think, that gets overlooked quite often And because you're kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, kind of product there that, you know, that helps kind of feed that CR CRM and, uh, you know, feed, feed that engine a little bit, but, uh, yeah, just a, a great tool and, and, uh, definitely hit up Ruben. Like he said, he's everywhere, right? <laughs> I'm sure you'll see him eventually at a show. So. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, appreciate everybody for joining us today and, uh, thank you again, Ruben for jumping on and hopefully you guys gained some good insight here.